that's it. We're back six days later with another episode of Life in Paradise podcast. With me, your host, Brandon Harper. Today is Sunday, January 15th, 2023. And I'm still getting practice at the whole 23 thing. I, I don't know how many checks I wrote this week and put 22 on them, but oh well, that's just how it goes. The banks don't care that much. I feel like banks used to really care about the dates on checks. Remember when they say, hey, hey, see if they'll take a post-dated check or something. But they don't. No one really cares anymore about checks and the dates on them. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. My goal is to help you figure out how to think critically and then communicate those thoughts without being disrespectful. Because I think the world would be a better place if we could disagree without being disagreeable. If there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros and that my intros typically last longer than a minute, which I do not know how to fix. I guess I could stop rambling about things in the intro. Either way, I appreciate you listening to Life in Paradise podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. Sit back, relax, and let me pay the bills for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. go another episode brought to you by me just a regular dude who doesn't know what he's doing he can barely operate all this fancy equipment he's got with no feedback from anyone who listens to his show i'm just shooting from the hip but if you're listening to this you probably already know that i don't know what you're doing with your sunday but man i am recovering we had a brutal day at the brewery yesterday and when i say brutal i mean good i'm celebrating that good day By shopping for office chairs. I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for big, nice office chairs. I don't know what it is. One day, one day, it probably won't be anytime soon, but I will buy myself an office chair that will be equivalent to the price of an old junkie car. An old junkie, reliable car that runs and drives and you can register. And I'm going to spend that much money on an office chair. But yes, I am exhausted Yesterday at the brewery, we had a big day. <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't expecting that size day, but we were prepared for it. And I tell you what, even though I'm all stiff today and it hurts to stand up and I'm exhausted, it felt really, really good. The team is finally starting to join in cohesion and work together and understand concepts that I feel like we've been working on for about a year, a year and a half. And so... Man, it's nice to see it all come together. The energy feels different. The vibe feels different. People want to help each other. I don't know what's changed, but everyone kind of made a turn, and now things feel really good. And so yesterday we had a car show, and we did more in revenue than almost every day in 2022 except for one day. So we had one day in 2022 that we did more revenue than we did yesterday. Otherwise, we already set a new record, and I'm very happy about that. 
And there's probably some people listening who are saying, it's not just all about money, Brandon. You're always talking about money. It's not just about money. It is when you're trying to stay in business. It's all about money. If you don't have enough money to pay your bills, you don't stay in business and you don't have a job. So believe me, nobody's getting rich. We are feeling more confident about staying in business, which makes me very, very happy because I took my life savings almost and put it into this business. And if you've never done that, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like. And while that's the tip of the iceberg of my world, I felt like I owed it to you guys to fill you in on what's been happening at the brewery. So things are going better. Things are looking good. Uh, We're reaching the point of sustainability, and that makes everyone feel comfortable and happy. So that is the brewery sum up. And I hate saying the word brewery. It's such a hard word to say, especially when you're being recorded and people are going to listen to it. Brewery. Brewery. It sucks. Terrible word. Should be called a beer factory. That's it. Beer factory. I mean, Starbucks brews coffee, but they're not a brewery. And places that make iced tea, they're not a brewery. Such a terrible word. We've got plenty of things to talk about today. No more brewery talk. We'll move along. Why does everyone hate... Well, let me back up a little bit. If you think about the today's culture and the anti-bullying and the, the people who think that it's not good to bully people because it hurts their feelings. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's good to bully people. But I also understand the value in people getting bullied. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to bully anyone, but I understand that bullying builds character. And I'm not talking about taking people and shoving their heads in toilets that are filled with shit water. But I'm talking about just just poking people and, you know, going through the process of life of being being pushed around. Uh, someone trying to control you through intimidation, however you want to define it. Bullying is something that is spoken against nowadays, right? We can all agree that 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 there's a big movement to stop bullying. And what I find odd is that it only applies to children. Even if I think that we really shouldn't worry about bullying that much, I think it should be just kind of part of the marketplace. It's just a kind of a rite of passage, and it makes people stronger, teaches them how to deal with it as long as there's no physical damages involved. It's just kind of part of life. But it it stops with children. And an example of this is Elon Musk. He was a kid. He got bullied as a child. And he still, he still gets bullied today. But I feel like if he were a kid, everyone who's bullying him today would be saying, Don't bully him. He has autism. He's special. Don't push him around. But you get a couple billion dollars in your hip pocket, and everyone turns on you. And this is such a fascinating phenomenon to me. What, did his autism just go away? Is he no longer autistic? Is he no longer, quote-unquote, on the spectrum? For some reason, people get it in their head that just because you have money and a lot, lot, lot of it, hundreds of billions of dollars, that you dislike humanity or that you're doing nefarious things or that you don't know what you're doing. And it's just such an odd phenomenon to me. And it's nothing that we'll ever be able to get to the root of. We'll never be able to know exactly why People maintain these beliefs that just because you have tons and tons of money, 
you're not a good human. And I feel like that is a bad part of our culture. That is something that it will hurt us more than it will help us in the long run. Because there's other cultures, a lot of the Persian cultures, they're very flashy. They're very showy. They love to show off the things that they have. They're nice cars. They're nice guns. They love to show them off. And it's like a, it's a pedestal. It's a, it's a position of respect to be able to show all these things that you have. And I don't think that's a good thing either. But what they draw from that flashiness and that, and that showing off is that, hey, maybe I can be motivated to get what they have. Maybe I'm going to go hustle. Maybe I'm going to go do what it takes to get those things. And I think that's a good thing. Well, I don't think it's good to motivate people to do good things with things. If you're still motivating them to do good things, then that's great. And I think that we should look at the lives of these people and decide if we want to be like them and do the things that they do and set that aside from their success. Now, there's people out there like Sam Binky Binkman Fraud who had all this money, but he acquired it through doing bad things, and those people should be shunned. But if you look at someone like Elon Musk, the guy's building rockets, the guy's building electric cars, the guy's planting chips in monkeys' brains in order to help science progress fast enough, and maybe we can solve the problem of p- broken spine paraplegics. And I'm not saying the guy's a saint by any stretch, but we're losing the ability to evaluate someone and say, this is what I do like about the guy, and this is what I dislike about the guy. It has to be all or nothing. We've got to be either you love someone or you hate them. And it's not a good, this is not a good position to be in because now you're forcing people to take sides. And there's a group of people that even if you choose not to take a side, then you have effectively spoken out against them. And I mean, I don't know. There's There might be people out there who think this is a good thing, this is a good position to be in, but I don't, I don't think it is. I think this is a, a driver of our division. This will continue to divide us. By forcing people into selecting what camp they're going to be in, you necessarily turn them against the other camp. So, remember, he's autistic. Leave that man alone. Maybe he works hard. Maybe he expects lots and lots and lots of work out of his employees. Maybe he ruthlessly fires people for reasons that you don't approve of. And you don't have to be his friend. You don't have to drink tea with him and eat crumpets. But respect what he's doing. I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. I could be wrong. You could feel totally different. That's just my opinion. I've got a lot of close friends who think that, oh, he's just, he's not who he says he is. But they don't know the guy. No one does. I don't either. I'm not saying he is who he says he is. But I'm saying, look at what he's done and respect that. Just respect it. That's it. I mean, if we're going to respect rappers like these criminals and thugs who have history of being in jail, being in prison, convicted of crimes, we're going to put them on a pedestal. We're going to mimic them. We're going to sing their songs. And they, they're a net strain on society. They produce some kind of art that some people like. And that's it. That is it. Now, I'm not saying artists aren't valuable. That, that's fine. I'm just saying that we we can't look up to people who represent bad things while we turn against people who are trying to make contributions to society. Regardless of what his motivation is, he's making big contributions to society. And that's respectable. 
And that's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. Be nice to autistic billionaires. Period. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Speaking of not a joke, I went ahead and compiled a montage of your president saying not a joke. Because lots of times you probably hear me say not a joke, not a joke in the tone of Joe Byron. But I've got a two minute and 44 second clip. And I know I typically don't play clips this long, but I'm going to play this because I spent time making it and time putting it together and time uploading it. And by golly, you're going to listen to it. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. So fully, am I, I'm not joking. That's a joke, but uh, it's not a joke. They're great. I'm an unadulterated fan. Not a joke. Not a joke. I'm not joking. No, I, I really mean that. I'm not joking now. For real. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Delaware, the thing I like about my station, when I go, I always come down the pole. You think I'm joking. I'm not. It's a lot of fun. Hear me now? Not a joke. Amtrak became my family. Not a joke. We have one gigantic problem, and I'm not joking about it, it's Donald Trump. And as long as no all kidding aside. I'm not joking when I say I'm thankful to these guys. Not a joke. Fact. Not a joke. Fact. Not a joke. Not a joke. No, no, think about it. I'm not joking. We didn't have anybody, not a joke, who could turn on the streetlights. You hear me? Not a joke. That is not a joke. The world's watching. Not a joke. They think democracy's not not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. That's why I don't look at the polls. <laughs> not a joke. Fox News requires vaccinations for all employees. Not a joke. Not a joke. We're going to build a better America. Not a joke. We're going to lead the world again. Not a joke. I really mean it. Not a joke. It's not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. But I'm not joking when I say this. He told me, and that's not a joke. The reason why we leapt ahead of the rest of the world. Not a joke. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. You're paying at a higher tax rate than corporate America's paying. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Best in the world. Not a joke. We can, no, you think I'm joking. I'm not. Dogs may help cure cancer. Not a joke. To smell cancer in people's legs and people's bodies. Not a joke. Not a joke. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Renewable energy. Not a joke. And Marine One. Not a joke. Keep things moving. Not a joke. It's not a joke. That's who we are as Americans. Not a joke. Literally higher. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. And I come from the corporate state of the world. Not a joke. How many of you had had to pull your child away from the television set when the president's on? Not a joke. How many grandparents have done that? Not a joke. It's simple. Not a joke. I'm not being facetious. I was there as a United States senator. I'm not being facetious now. I'm, not, I'm being deadly earnest. I feel uh, badly for them. I'm not being facetious. I'm not being facetious. I mean, he's actually said these things. No, I'm not, I'm be, I'm being, I'm not being facetious. So let's take him, I'm not being facetious, at his word. You know, I wonder who his best friends are. That's what I want to know. I want to know who his buddies are. Who thinks, man, that Joe, he's a good dude. He's a solid guy. You know, he's got his quirks. But he's a good dude. He means I don't I don't think anyone can say that about him. And I think that's probably true for a lot of Washington DC politician swamp creatures. Because they've sold their soul so many times in order to get things done, like their agenda and get money for their people, that they're just wishy washy. They just float through life like a butterfly and they don't have any principles, they don't have any backbone. 
because they're more concerned about getting reelected and quote unquote getting things done than they are standing on principles. And that makes me sad. I would much rather politicians get up there and speak their opinion and everyone hate their opinion, but have a whole long list of people that have known them personally. They can say good things about them and they can say, you know what? He's got some crazy ideas. I don't agree with his politics, but man, he's a good person. He takes care of his employees. He's good to his family. He's a great father. But we don't see that with these people because they're scoundrels. 99% of these people are absolute scoundrels. And that is not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. And I'm proud to be an American. Alrighty. Up next... I'm going to enlighten you on a topic indicated in my notes called the Charles Hunt situation. (laughs) Man, you know what? I've just, the older I get, the more I just really appreciate little nuances about people and their quirks and their personality traits and what's important to them and what makes them tick and what keeps them going and what makes them angry and what makes them upset and what makes them laugh. I feel like the story of each individual person is worthy of a book. You just got to know how to dig. You got to know what questions to ask to figure out what makes them tick. And whenever you can find that, there's enough information there to write an interesting book about every human being. It doesn't matter if they're homeless or they're an autistic billionaire. There's enough there. You just got to dig. And so I want to tell you guys about this guy named Charles Hunt, who we buy our firewood from. At the brewery. So we cook barbecue and we buy, have to buy firewood so we can pollute the environment, cook our delicious brisket, and sell it for lots and lots of money. And I've been through like three or four firewood guys. And in my experience, firewood guys, they're kind of hit or miss. They'll kind of, you know, sometimes they run out of wood and they can't get you. Sometimes they're too busy. Sometimes their truck's broken down. Or I don't, I don't want to say it derogatorily, but they're not the most astute business people and the ones that are i can't afford right so there's a few you know big firewood companies that deliver to big chains and they come on an 18 wheeler and they deliver it with a forklift and you know those guys i just i can't afford their services and so i've been through a few firewood guys since we started started the barbecue side of the business currently i got charles hunt and charles is from a little city about two and a half three hours away and when i first called him i said hey you know, I'm looking for a firewood guy, and I noticed that his area code was from out of town. But that doesn't really mean much any, anymore. So I called him. I said, hey, I'm looking to buy some wood. He said, yeah, man, I'll get you fixed up. You know, just a good old country boy. And all these guys are good people. They're all salt of the earth, hardworking, calloused hands, dirty shirts, because they do not stop working. And so I said, awesome. You know, I'll take four cords of wood. We talked about the price. He gave me the date, showed up, delivered it. And when he showed up, man, it was him and his wife. And they unloaded the entire truck by hand. Part of the price is for them to stack it. And I said, look, guys, you don't have to stack it. Just go in the warehouse, throw it out of the truck, put it in a pile. We can work with it. We we go through it fast enough where it doesn't need to be stacked. And so the first time I saw him, he delivered four cords of when he showed up with his trailer. And he texted me, he goes, down the street. You know, texted me he was on his way so I could get the door opened for him and everything. And I'm out there and I hear this before I could see anything. I heard a pop, 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 And I look up and here comes this truck and trailer. And the trailer is loaded to the gills for full of firewood. The bed's loaded to the gills. 
and there's a flat tire on the trailer flapping. Bop, 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 bop. And, you know, the trailer is a tandem axle trailer, which means it's got two axles, one in front of the other one. So there's four tires on the trailer. So one had blown up, and here comes old Charles Hunt. First time I ever met him dragging in his trailer with a flat tire. I said, hey, you got a flat. He's like, I know. It'll be all right. I'll make it home. And so he, he unloaded the firewood with his flat tire. I paid him his money, and he went on about his way. And there was something about that guy. I said, man, I, I like that guy. And this dude, let me explain what this guy. He's about five foot six tall and about five foot six wide. He's a little square. He's got a big old belly, and he wears his, his britches up underneath his belly. And, man, he's probably in his late 50s and just been selling firewood his entire life. But there was something about this guy that I liked. Well, fast forward five or six deliveries later. He's raised his prices on us. That's okay. I get it. Everything's gone up. So we're still in good graces. But he showed up recently with a delivery, and I gave him his check. And I said, hey, I need to get your W-9 from last year. He goes, nope. I go, what do you mean no? He goes, I won't give that out. And I go, well, i got to have it. I think I think I have to have it. He's like, Mm-mm, no. And I go, who told you you don't have to submit a W-9? He's like, my CPA. I go, your CPA told you no W-9? He goes, yep, I don't do it. Not going to provide it. If you don't, if you can't buy wood without it, I'm going, I ain't going to sell you no more wood. <laughs> I was like, well, okay then, Charles. So he's like, I don't do no tax forms, no receipts, none of that. And I'm thinking, well, that's probably why your prices are so good because you don't do none of that. I wish I could get by without doing none of that, but I couldn't. So I kind of gave him a little lip. You know, he was sitting in the office with me. I was like, dude, I don't know. I don't know what kind of CPA you got, but if they're telling you not to get a W-9, maybe you need to go look for a CPA. Like a complete arrogant prick. I mean, I, I wasn't that arrogant, but I, I was a little bit arrogant. And I thought to myself, man, I don't want to lose this firewood guy. He's the only one that shows up on time, every time, no complaints, and does what he's supposed to do. So I emailed our accountant and I said, hey, do I need to get a W-9 in this guy? And she was like, no, I don't think so. You know, unless they do this and this and that, you don't have to get a W-9. And I was so excited that I did not have to run off Charles Hunt and find a new firewood guy. And so I thought to myself, you know what? I got to talk about this on the podcast because I just kind of assumed he was making that up. I really didn't. I don't, and I don't know why I didn't believe that his CPA really told him that. So I had to make sure to text him and apologize. And I said, hey, man. Sorry about that. You you were right. Your CPA was right. We do not need a W-9. But I thought, you know what? That's what I get. That's what I get for judging a book by its cover, you know? Thinking that this guy doesn't know. He doesn't have, his CPA doesn't know. Nobody knows. And I was flat out wrong. So I like to brag when I'm right. I don't like to brag when I'm wrong, but I still will. To make sure that y'all know I'm human. I'm not I'm not as perfect as I, as I like to act like I am. Everybody in Cleveland, low minority, got Obama phone. Keep Obama in president, you know? It's a baby out here in the middle of the road, bruh. I never seen no shit like this, bruh. We on a Fitzgerald Highway, my nigga. We on a Fitzgerald Highway, bruh. It's a baby out here, bruh, on everything. In the okay. middle of the road. Whole white baby, bruh. No, no nothing on. And his parents still ain't showed up yet. yet. You know what's funny? Is that I think that that is one of the funniest videos of all time. But it makes people uncomfortable. Because there's a black guy talking about white babies. And we're not supposed to repeat that. We're supposed to only laugh at that in private. 
or when no one else, we're not allowed to say it. We can see it on YouTube. We can laugh about it, but we can't talk about it. And I saw this firsthand. We have a regular who bought a whole, a, a whole brisket. He, wanted, he called me up. He said, hey, man, I'd like to buy a whole brisket. And I was like, a whole white baby brisket? And he's like, oh, what? I'm like, oh, man, you never seen that video? The whole white baby in the middle of the road? He's like, uh, no, 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 I haven't seen that. And, you know, I know this guy fairly well. He's not a stranger. He knows me. He knows who I am. And I thought it was so, he kind of clammed up. And so I went ahead and sent him the clip. And I said, here's the video. He didn't respond. He shows up to pick up his brisket. And I said, hey, man, you get the video of the whole white baby in the middle of the road? He's like, oh, he kind of looked around because I said it in public. And he's like, oh, no, I don't know. No, 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 no. And I'm just like, dude, what is wrong with you people? It's a funny freaking video. That's it. What, because it's a black guy who uses the word white, we're all going to pretend like it's not funny. You know, it's just, it's so frustrating to me that people are so intimidated to laugh at things that are funny because there's people that have different skin color talking about people with different skin color. This is one of the weakest things about our society. They've got everyone so scared that it's wrong that they won't admit when things are funny. And that, to me, is sad. And things, in my opinion, this is all just my opinion, things, in my opinion, are getting out of hand. Well, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by they're getting out of hand? I mean that we are so nervous about being called racist that we're, we're unwilling to call out buffoonery when we see it because people have a skin color. And you see this, the videos of people that are robbing stores that happen to be black people, but no one will intervene because they don't want to be called racist. I even have cop friends, police officers who say, yeah, I mean, we just, we don't, if it's a black person, we, we let them get away with more. We, we will let them do more. And what else do we need to know? What We're not policing under the same guidelines anymore. And if that doesn't strike a chord as dangerous, what does? Because where does it go from here? We're moving the threshold of acceptable behavior. Here's another example. There was a guy a couple weeks ago at a taqueria in Houston. A guy walks in, bad guy walks in, asks for everyone's wallet, okay? And the Patriot shoots this guy, kills him dead. Well, there's a bunch of people now that are saying like, well, he didn't have to shoot him. And the guy walked in and had a gun. He had a gun. He was waving it all around, flailing it, saying, give me your wallets, wallets, jewelry, watches, on the flow, now. But 15 years ago, there would be no question of whether or not shooting this individual was the right thing to do. So I'm not talking about this incident, but I am saying that it has shown that when we decide to pull the trigger, is changing. Because back in the day, we would have pulled the trigger and killed this worthless human a lot earlier. Even if he was just trying to feed his family, we still would shoot someone for waving a gun around. And the more that we show that we are less willing to pull the trigger because we're worried about the backlash, the more this behavior will perpetuate. It will They will keep performing this because if someone sees a video of a guy walking into a Walgreens with a bag and loading everything up of value that he possibly can load into it and then walking out the door without anyone doing anything, what signal does that give? That shows other people that they can do the same things. And eventually, people will get to the point by which they will have had enough. They will say, enough of this. We're not doing this anymore. Then they will strike back 
with a hard vengeance. It's kind of like a dog. Here I am using dog analogies, but dogs give all sorts of body language and signals and cues. When, when things happening to them that they don't like, they'll look a certain way, they wave their tail a certain way, they posture, they do things. And then when that doesn't work, they bite. Because in their mind, they're saying, I'm giving all the signals, I'm giving all the signals, and when they don't work, they bite. So now let's say we start correcting a dog for growling, okay? And so let's just say we've got a little toddler, and the toddler's walking around the dog, and the dog doesn't like it. He, that's a good growl, right? Kind of growls at the toddler. And we say, hey, no, knock it off. We correct it. We stop the growling. What does the dog remember? What does he understand? He understands that he's not allowed to growl. He's not allowed to say, hey, don't do that. Don't step on me. Don't touch me. Don't poke my ears. He's not allowed to do that. So what ends up happening is that you create a dog who will not growl, not growl, not growl, and then boom, bite. Because in his mind, he thinks it's the growling that I'm not allowed to do. This is the same way with what we're seeing in these people that are robbing these stores. And there's people standing by saying, well, we're not allowed to say anything because of the the color of skin, and, you know, we don't want to be called racist, and we don't want to make black people look bad. And I'm not saying that this is just pertaining to black people, but I am saying that this tends to happen inside stores that are in the black communities. And I will say for a fact, without doubt, that people are more afraid to call out people of color because they don't want the backlash. And that's that's the truth. And what this ends up doing is it causes people to do things like not hire someone because they're black. And that is a bad thing. We should be wanting to hire the best candidates. But now there are business owners out there, and I know some, specifically. I know them very well. There's one individual that I know of who told me I will never hire a black person again. And I know that's terrible. I hated to hear it, and I, I thought to myself, man, that's a shame. Now, who knows if that's actually true, right? But... In this particular person's point of view, they've been burned. They had two people on separate occasions that they hired, and they were performing poorly, and they had to let them go. In both instances, the person claimed racism, which I don't understand, because if I was racist I, and I didn't like black people, I hated them, I wouldn't hire them to begin with. So how can you claim that someone's racist when they hire someone and then they fire them, right? I promise business owners do not like to fire people. We like to hire people and then work for us for the rest of our lives. That's how it goes. Regardless, this two times this person hired black people. They thought they were great candidates. Turned out they weren't. They didn't work hard. They were lazy. One of them stole things, and both of them claimed racism. And this individual had to go through legal action and lawsuits and prove their innocence. They had to prove that they weren't racist. And that's messed up to me. That is messed up. It's messed up. So by doing things that disallow people to express their dissatisfaction, you end up creating a bunch of pent-up anger and frustration, which ends up erupting like a volcano. And I feel like, I, and I'm worried that that's the direction that we're headed that we will eventually see people in businesses who, after being told they were racist long enough, will actually start exhibiting racist behaviors. And what the, the driving factor will be will not be that they, they've hated black people. It's that they were sick and tired of being told that they were something they weren't. So that created them to 
want to disassociate themselves from that. And the only way to do that is by doing the same behaviors that got us to this point in the 60s. And I honestly, you know, I think about this a lot because it's a big topic and you see it everywhere and it's all over social media. And I think to myself, why is it that the the black immigrants from Somalia and Ethiopia and Nigeria and Uganda, why is it that they can come over here and they have no problems? They They don't claim racism. They don't feel like they're being oppressed. But the black Americans do. I, and, and, and in my opinion, this is just my opinion, it's because the racism does not exist here. It, of course, it exists in some places. But generally, you can look around and see that people of color can do just fine here. In fact, this week, I came across some statistics that showed the average household income for each nationality in the U.S., And you know where the white American was? Number nine. Number nine. Almost double digits, but number nine nonetheless. And number one was Indian. Indian was $40,000 more per household than white Americans. So up in the top ten, or above the white Americans, you had the Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese, um, Taiwan, a bunch of Asian cultures. And I really feel like that if this country was racist, you wouldn't have that. You wouldn't have that. You would have people coming over here from Somalia and being like, whoa, they really hate black people there. I'm going back to Somalia. But you don't. They're lined up to come here. Everyone's extremely happy that they're here. And so this is why I often push back on the racism claims, because I feel like they're unfounded and untrue. And what they do is give people an excuse to blame their misfortunes on. So if someone is dissatisfied with the way things that have gone in their life, instead of being able to say, man, I'm in a bind right now and I blame my parents. Or I'm in a bind right now and I blame myself for what's happening in my world. Instead of doing that, it's much easier to say, well, you've been held down by the white man. And then you don't have to be held accountable. You don't have to take any blame for it. And then you have parents who teach their kids the same mindset. And their grandkids get taught the same mindset. And because of that, you have a cycle that never ends. This is all my theory, right? I'm not sitting up here saying this is the gospel. I'm not pounding the table like Alex Jones. I'm just saying this is my theory. I would love to talk to someone about this who who holds true to an alternate theory. And we could talk about it like grown-ass, respectful men. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. So this kind of ties me into my next topic. And that is actually a human, a person named Kyle Rittenhouse. And everyone knows the story of the Kyle Rittenhouse case. He was at some gathering, some protest. He shot some people. They died. And I'm not trying to minimize it or, or, or maximize it or say anything about the incident, but I'm just saying we all know who he is, right? And it evolved into a, a highly publicized trial, and everyone was taking sides, and they were being judge, jury, and executioner. And so he ended up being found not guilty of murder. Uh, they said it was in self-defense. But regardless, this guy's just milking this. And I realize he's only 19, but he's... He is becoming the kind of person who just screams into the echo chamber. 
And I feel like if he was actually out there trying to explain his point of view to the people who disagreed with him or said, he's guilty, hang him. If he was trying to work with those people, that's the kind of things we need to see to make progress. But instead, he goes on all the right-wing talking shows and all the Fox News and all these people, and he just talks about you know how great the Second Amendment is, which, don't get me wrong, I agree with him, the Second Amendment is great. But he's telling his story to people who agree with him. And in my opinion, that's not really what we need right now. We need people who are willing to go on the shows of people who disagree with him and think that he was guilty and that he is racist and talk to them. Otherwise, you just you you throw fuel on the fire and you create more division. The reason I say this or bring up Rittenhouse is because recently he was scheduled to show up at, event, at an event in Conroe, a small town in Texas north of Houston, where they were going to, I think, rally for uh, free speech or anti-censorship, which, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I support free speech. I don't like censorship, but we don't need a rally, okay? We don't need to have rallies so showing our support. That, that's what liberals do. That's what people who wave flags and hold cardboard, that's not the right. We don't do that. So either way, this brewery called Southern Star Brewing, which makes good beer. I will give them, they make good beer. One of the first beers I loved was the Southern Star Pine Belt Pale Ale. It was delicious. But anyway, he was supposed to be a, a guest at some rally that they agreed to host. Well, all of a sudden, they pulled the plug. They decided not to host the rally. And word around the campfires that they got pressure from a local grocery store chain called HEB, who's turning out to be extremely woke, far more woke than what I like. But either way, they feel like that they need to get involved in politics which is another topic. I don't think we need to bring politics into corporate structure, but that's just me. And so they decided not to have the rally, and they didn't let Rittenhouse come or whatever. And I just got to thinking, you know, they should have used that strategically. They should have hosted a live podcast or a debate of Rittenhouse and one of his arch enemies and let them sit there on stage and talk about their point of view. And I know a lot of people think, well, nobody can agree anymore and everyone's just going to fight. But I think that with the right people, we can have a public discourse. We can have discussions about how and why we disagree and actually make progress. Because if we don't, if we don't do this quickly, things are going to get nasty. Businesses are going to be having to choose sides. They already kind of are a little bit right now. But it's going to get bad. You're going to see people leave one company and go to another company. And you're starting to see that a little bit, but you're going to see it more. And I think, at least this is my theory, the businesses will declare whether they're red or blue. We know what the difference is between red and blue, but I think businesses will be put in a position to declare that. And funding will go a direction or the other. Customers will come based on that. It will end up being a huge part of how businesses operate in the next 10 to 15 years, if we don't address this now. But people are so emotionally charged that it's difficult for them to put their finger on their opinion and discuss it. And once again, I mainly blame the media, specifically social media, for, for our division. That they, that they have taken profits and gone after them in a way that has caused us to be divided it's a it's been a byproduct i don't think that they're sitting there saying let's pit them against them 
so that we can make money. I think it's like, hey, let's just feed them what they want to click. And it just so happens that that tends to be controversial issues that people are not willing to discuss in person. So they're happy to have a platform where they can secretly hide behind their screens and put their opinions out there and no one know who they are. So in my opinion, the solution is to be willing to express your opinions without being anonymous, with owning your opinions and knowing why you feel that way and being able to discuss them with people who, who are different and even if you don't agree with them, still have a civil discourse. That's, that's what I want to see. That's what it's going to take to keep this whole thing from boiling over. And I don't know what the end looks like. I don't know if I'll be alive. I don't think it's going to be like a split down the middle civil war. But I guarantee you, if the Chinese army showed up in a bunch of ships loaded full of Chinese soldiers with assault rifles and they started storming cities, you would see cohesion and unity. We would forget about all these cries of racism. They would, we would soon see how minimal they become because we would need each other to fight the Chinese. So I don't know. Before COVID, I, if you would have asked me, I would have said, yeah, COVID will bring us together. So if I could see how this thing played out beforehand, I would say, yeah, a big virus hitting the U.S. will probably bring us together. But it didn't. And it didn't because of the social media. The, their, their profit is derived from division. So there will never be another topic that comes up that we're undivided on. We will be divided on everything from here on out. And if you were the operator of a social media company and you were responsible for providing profit and all your competition's doing it, well, you're probably going to have to do it too. I don't know if you guys heard, but there was a story that came up uh, over the course of this last week on uh, serviced on social media. And it was a, um, a store owner in L.A. It was either L.A. or San Francisco. And there was a, a homeless person sitting in front of him on the ground. And it was right in front of his shop, supposedly. And the video starts with him just spraying the homeless person in the face with a water hose. And so instantly, instantly, the video came out and everyone was divided on it. But the general sentiment was that that damn store owner, he should be killed. He should be hung and beaten like a pinata. And my sentiment is like, well, wait, wait a minute, time out. We got to have, there might be a reason to have some empathy for him. There might be a reason to say, you know, I'm not for spraying people in the face with water hoses, but I understand the guy boiled over. And I'm not making excuses for what he did, but I am saying, put yourself in his position. And let's just say, hypothetically, that this person is in front of your store every day, and they're dirty, and they leave things, they leave trash and you've asked them not to be there over and over and over again, and they don't listen to you, and they don't care what you think, and they're not concerned about your store, imagine how frustrating that would be. If your customers had to climb over homeless people who didn't care and were rude, and I'm not saying that this lady was, but for this hypothetical story, let's just say that she was, right? We don't know if she was or she wasn't, right? So for this story, we're going to assume that she was. And if she was, and he sprayed her with a hose... Was he that out of line? Was he that? He didn't kick her in the jaw like you see students uh, doing to teachers. He didn't, he didn't sucker punch her when she wasn't looking like you see on worldstar.com. He sprayed her with a water hose. 
And so we can probably all agree that, okay, if she did this and this and this and that and that, and everyone has their own list of what this and this and that is, there is a list of things that she could have done, at which point you would say, okay, well, you know what? I get it. He sprayed her with a hose. It's not the end of the world. She's not going to be hurt. She'll be okay. But he wanted to get his point across. And so we don't know what that list was. We don't know what all she had or hadn't done. So it's not fair to instantly blame that store owner for doing something when we don't know his side of the story. Now, at the same time, we don't know her side of the story either. You know, maybe that was her first day there. Maybe she was clean. Maybe she didn't have trash everywhere. Maybe she wasn't dirty. Who knows? We don't know that. So because we don't know both of those sets of details, we shouldn't be saying who's right or wrong. We should just say, yeah, that's not a good look. We, we shouldn't be proud of that behavior, but we need more information. Because I can tell you what, everyone has a breaking point. Everyone can only tolerate so much before they do something like spray a person in the face with a water hose. And if that's the worst that this guy does, it's not the end of the world. Another thing is, if the person had not been homeless, if it hadn't been a homeless person, if it had just been a person, right? Let's just say this person had a house, but for whatever reason, they wanted to hang out in front of the shop. And every day, the guy was like, get out of my shop, get out of here, you're dirty, whatever you're doing, get out. And then he sprayed her. The backlash wouldn't have been as bad. But people allow their emotions to step in and say, oh my gosh, this helpless, homeless person got sprayed by a water hose. In reality, it's a human who got sprayed by a water hose. Whether they're homeless or not shouldn't detract or add to the severity of being sprayed by a water hose. How many of your friends or nieces or nephews or neighbor kids have you sprayed with a water hose? I mean, we've all done it. Even, even if you have all your clothes on, you've, you've been washing a car, your girlfriend walks by, your boyfriend walks by, a quick spray with the water hose. Like, it's not the end of the world. But the reason that people react so strongly is because that other people react so strongly. And so it builds this synergy and it turns into emotions. And that is what we've got to figure out how to fix. I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer to that other than having these kinds of conversations. I had a conversation with somebody on the Twitter the other day. And it was a this individual that I was talking to was a black guy. And we were going back and forth about a um, a lady, an older lady, who had called someone the N-word. And the guy walked up to her and was like, I told you not to say that. And she kept going off, and he reared back and slapped her so hard like a man. She fell down. She was making no threat of violence. And I was explaining to this person, like, hey, do you think that this behavior is acceptable, that, that it's okay to slap people who you know could do no harm that hard? For saying words? He's like, yeah, they set their boundaries and she clo- she chose to cross them. And that just blew my mind that there's no there's no principles there. That the that the line is, yes, I will slap someone if they say things I don't like, even if I know that they are no match for me physically. I cannot imagine someone who did that to my mom. And that's what I told him. I said, dude, you better hope that your mom never says something like that to someone that she doesn't like. Because she's going to get slapped, and you're going to have to be okay with it. And some people, they live by a different set of rules. They live by different standards, and they have different thresholds of acceptability. And that is not 
from years and years and years of oppression. That is from how you were raised, who your mentors were, who you modeled your life after, how you saw your parents behave, whether you had a dad who smacked your mom. All those things mold people into where they set their threshold of acceptability. And people like this guy that I was talking to, he will not make it far in life. He, he may acquire a nice car and not have to work too much and wear some nice clothes and some nice jewelry. But other than that, he will not leave a legacy. And that's sad to me. That's sad that we're there are cultures existing within our country who have gone off kilter so far that the way that they live and the way that they think disallows them from leaving a legacy. You cannot stop Brendan. You can only hope to contain him. This liberal will be all about socializing. Uh, um, would be about basically what? taking over. What? And the government running all of your companies. That sounds like a brilliant plan, anti-Maxine Waters. Okay, this is my last bullet point. And man, I don't know what's wrong. I don't get sick much. But I think there's something going on my sinus. Something going on. I don't, I don't know what it feels like to have a messed up sinus. But I feel like my sinuses are messed up. At least one of them. On the whole left side. On Friday night at about 7 o'clock at the brewery, Kyra, our taproom manager, has the landline phone. And she has it on mute. She goes, hey, someone's asking for you by name. And so they kind of know that because we get so many phone calls of people wanting to talk to the manager, talk to the owner, talk to the decision maker. And so they kind of know like, hey, we don't we can't just stop what we're doing and go take him the phone. And so I get the phone from her and it's loud. It's 730 Friday night. Glasses are clinking, hustle and bustle. And so I'm like, hello, this is Brandon. This guy really quietly goes, Yes, um, I'm just calling. I have some questions. And I go, okay, okay, how can I help you? And he's like, well, no, you sound like you're really busy. I can call back. And they go, no, 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 that's okay. How can I help you? He goes, well, I, I was a customer there. And, you know, I, I ordered ribs. And, and you know, I just, I don't know how many how many ribs come on the pound. I mean, I don't know any restaurants who sell ribs by the pound. And I kind of get quiet for a second. I go, every barbecue place who's worth its weight in salt sells ribs by the pound and he goes well i don't know how many ribs are in a pound and i go well did you ask any of the staff and he said yes and i go and what did they tell you well they told me that for a half pound of ribs you know could be two to three ribs and i go yep that's exactly what they're supposed to tell you and he goes on and on to complain about the price and he just doesn't understand how uh, a half a pound of ribs can cost thirteen dollars and I finally said, hey, they don't they don't cost me $13. They cost you $13. And you don't have to buy them. I said, look, Chili's is a different product. Because he was complaining, saying that I can go to Chili's and I can get a whole you know, rack of baby back ribs and two sides and a drink for X amount of dollars. And I said, yeah, you know what else? You can also go to McDonald's and get the McRib sandwich that's cheaper than Chili's. And I go, so you can either drive a Bentley or you can drive a Toyota. They're both the same thing. They're both vehicles, but one does things a little bit differently than the other one. And I said, I don't expect everyone to find value in what we have here. 
And I spent 15 minutes on the phone with this guy. And at first I was going to be kind of a smart ass, but I thought, you know what? I got to practice what I preach. I'm going to try to explain to this guy and make him understand why we have to sell our ribs for so much. I don't know what he took away because he just kept saying, like, I don't understand. Why are they so expensive? And I said, what, what all do you think goes into making these ribs? You ever cooked ribs before? Well, no, I haven't. And I go, okay, well, let me explain the process to you. I said, look, we got to have a guy out there. He's got to build the fire. We have to pay for firewood. We have to pay for foil. We have to pay for seasoning. They cook overnight. And so I explained all these things to him. And, and I thought to myself, how can you be a grown-ass man and not understand these things? And think that, like, well, I could just buy those ribs at the store for $3 a pound and you're selling them for 26 so you're just getting rich off us. And my answer to those people would be go into the rib business and just put us out of, put us out of business. Beat us at our own game. Come over here. Sell your ribs for as cheaply as you possibly can, and let's see who wins. You know, but you can't, you can't say that. you got to be diplomatic. But it just blew my mind. It blew my mind how clueless some people can be. And that's, uh, you know, and I understand that not everyone knows everything about everything. But there are certain things that I feel like if you're paying attention to what's going on around you, you will know the answer. I mean, has this guy never known a restaurant owner? Okay, because there's not many rich restaurant owners. They're just not. Most of them work 60 hours a week, and they make less money than they could anywhere else. And that's just the nature of the business. That's because there's so much competition, right? No one has an advantage. Anyone can sell ribs. It doesn't take a lot of capital to get started. So there's lots of competition in the rib selling business. I should have asked this guy what he did for a living because that's kind of my new litmus test, right? If you're talking to someone and you – are realizing that their their viewpoints are severely off from where yours are, it's always interesting to me to know what they do for a living. Because you'll find that most of them, they just do what they're told for a living. That's it. They just do what they're told for a living. I just thought it was an interesting phone call, and I thought I would share it with you. So if you would like to know why ribs are so expensive, call me. We can talk about it. Just like I'll spend 15 minutes explaining to you why they're so expensive. And honestly, a dirty little secret about barbecue places is that their least profitable items run out first. Let that sink in. And after it does, explain it to your friend who says, I don't understand why they run out of ribs every day. They just need to cook more ribs. I've been fighting acquisitions after acquisitions. And with those acquisitions, I think I will wrap up today's program. Right at an hour. What do you know? Getting pretty good at this one hour mark. I would ask for feedback, but I know nobody will give me any. So don't even worry about it. I'm just going to keep making them as long or as short as I want to. And whether you like it or not, well, you can decide. You don't have to tell me anything. You just keep keep all your ideas to yourself and don't... Don't share with me any feedback and just just keep it all to yourself. I'll just keep doing this the way I want to do it and just hope everybody likes it. Either way, I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I hope that you share it with someone. I hope that you're not ashamed of my opinions and how some of them go against the grain to the point where you can't share it with your friends. Because if you could share this with your friends, 
and I could make money doing this, I could do it more often. I could, I could do it more frequently, or I'd be willing to do it more frequently. Because I'm not going to lie, sometimes it kind of feels like a grind. Sometimes it do. But I do appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. I hope everyone has a fabulous week, and I would like to encourage everyone to do the following. Be nice to autistic people, even if they're billionaires. Don't judge a book by its cover. Always maintain your own threshold of acceptability and enforce it. Do not be the angry rib guy. Don't scream into echo chambers and try to have empathy for both sides of a confrontation until you know all of the details. Once again, thanks for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. Don't vote for Joe Biden. Someone ought to warn him before I knock him off his chair. Cause I can sing all them songs about Texas And I still do all the sad ones that I know They tell me I look like Merle Haggard And sound a lot like David Allen Cole song I'd wrote She said Jimmy Rabbit turned her on to my last album Just about the time the jukebox broke Yeah, Johnny Cash helped me get out of prison Long before Rodriguez stole that goat I've been the rhinestone cowboy for so long I can't remember And I song Hank Williams ever wrote and I can sing all them songs about Texas and I still do all the sad ones that I know I can't help it I look like Merle Haggard